0: This is Africa Digest.
1: Good evening and welcome to Africa Digest. This is Channel Africa giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're available online on www.channelafrica.co.za. My name is Samora Mangesi, driving the show with Jwadani Tulo, Buhle, Zuma, as well as Neto Chimani. Some top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. The Zimbabwe... The so president Emerson Mnagwagwa delivered his State of the Nation Address in a bid to address political and socio-economic challenges that have threatened to sink the nation. Algerians have been urged to do away with bad attitudes and be law-abiding in their activities. And South Africa has joined the rest of the globe today in celebrating the International Day of Older Persons. We'll also be having your economic as well as sporting news a little bit later on in the hour. But right now, let's cross on over to the news desk. Here is Joanne with your
2: latest news bulletin. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective.
3: Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. Uganda's opposition lawmaker and presidential hopeful Bobby Wine has denounced the government's banning of a civilian use of red berets. The beret is a symbol of Wine's people power movement. The presidential hopeful also labeled the move as a sham. The government this month gazetted the red beret and other pieces of military wear as property of the state. It warned people who wear or sell them that they would be prosecuted under military law, which can lead to a life sentence. The lawyer of a prominent Tanzanian journalist who was arrested more than two months ago has called on President John Magufuli to pardon him. This comes as a court postponed a hearing into his case for a sixth time. Eric Kabendera, who was who has written for international publications, was charged in August with leading organized crime, failing to pay taxes, and money laundering. His lawyers reject the charges and say the case ex- uh, the case rather is politically motivated. Rights groups have also said the case and um, the journalist rather is being held at the Segira prison a maximum security facility on the outskirts of the capital Dar es Salaam. Zimbabwe's ruling ZANU-PF party says it will transfer ownership of the palatial home in which the late president, Robert Mugabe, lived in the capital Harare to his family. Thus, according to the state-owned Herald newspaper, the clarification by ZANU-PF secretary for administration Orbit Mpofu followed speculation that the party intended to turn Mugabe's blue-roof mansion into a museum and derive an income from it. Mugabe's family spokesperson, Leo Mugabe, had recently confirmed that the ex-president who ruled Zimbabwe for 37 years Um, until he was ousted in 2017 did not own either the Blue Roof Mansion or the Mount Pleasant home. There have been violent clashes between police and protesters in Hong Kong as China celebrates 70 years of communist rule. 15 people have been taken to hospital, one is in a critical condition. The BBC's Stephen McDonnell
4: has the story. One protester has been shot in the chest by a live round after a police officer was being hit by a pole and he discharged his weapon to force that protester back. At one point we watched dozens of activists charging up an escalator trying to reach a police position near the main government offices. Now they had umbrellas to try and stop uh, the tear gas from hitting them but they were met with an absolute hail of rubber bullets and tear gas and eventually they had to retreat.
3: And finally, South Africa's President Soro Ramaphosa says the Health Sector Anti-Corruption Forum is a critical step in South Africa's move towards universal health care. Ramaphosa was speaking at the launch of the Health Sector Anti-Corruption Forum at the union buildings in the capital, Pretoria. Ramaphosa says the fears that the NHI Fund will become a target for criminals must be taken seriously.
5: Now this forum here, and the agreement that we are signing today, will enable us to have our antennas up to make sure that we do what Advocate Mutibi was saying, we embark on preventative measures to ensure that we do not, even for one minute, encourage those with corrupt intentions to even think that the NHI Fund is a place where they can go and, and plunder
2: the money.
3: I'll be back with headlines at 5.30. For Channel Africa, I'm Jolani Tula.
2: SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African, From an African perspective.
3: perspective.
1: Zimbabwean President Emerson Mnangagwa today... Uh, delivered his State of the Nation address in a bid to address political and socio-economic challenges that have threatened to sink the nation. In his address, Mnagwagwa admitted the country was facing challenges owing to economic reforms that have resulted in the suffering of millions of ordinary people. Mnagwagwa pleaded with citizens to be patient as he undertakes to deal with economic uh, saboteurs who have created a three-tier pricing system. More from Simon Muchemwa, our correspondent based in Harare, Zimbabwe.
6: During his state-of-nation address Sona in Harare on Tuesday, Zimbabwean President Emerson Mnangagwa warned economic saboteurs against speculative tendencies. Mnangagwa's warning came on the backdrop of sharp exchange rate increases of the U.S. dollar to the local currency fueling sharp price increases in retail shops. This forced the Reserve Bank to freeze bank accounts suspected to have been used for money laundering. By then, the exchange rate of the U.S. dollar to the RRTGS had reached 1 to 20, a move that triggered increases in retail prices to levels beyond ordinary people. Mnangagwa had this to say.
2: government is even pleased with the relative stability of the exchange rate over the past eight weeks. However... Last week's events of exchange rate manipulation amounts to economic sabotage and should not be tolerated. We all need to adhere to the rule of law.
6: Early this year, government banned the use of foreign currency when paying for services and purchasing goods locally. According to authorities, the demand for US dollar was creating an artificial foreign currency shortage. Hence the reintroduction of the local currency in the form of RTGS dollar, mobile money, and bond notes. Despite all the changes, Zimbabweans have continued to shun the local currency, citing instability and inflation. In a bid to address these challenges, government has come up with a new law that seeks to punish businesses charging in U.S. dollars of up to 30,000 Zimbabwean dollars or five years imprisonment. Munangagwa added,
2: Government has not concerned concern the emergence of monopolies as well as cartels as they engage in unjustified heights. <laughs> While government will not refer to price controls, we are nonetheless in the process of reviewing the Competition Act in order to introduce deterrent penalties. Yes.
6: While the new administration led by President Mnangagwa has declared war against corruption, a few arrests and imprisonments have been made. A new look Zimbabwe Anti-Corruption Commission, ZAG, has been put in place and so far, the net has captured the former minister of tourism, Priscam Fumira, who is facing abuse of office charges amounting to 100 million US dollars. Mnangagwa castigated the roads.
2: Reports of mismanagement of public finances, which are exposed by the Office of the Auditor General and brought before this Parliament must never be condoned. Corruption <coughs> returns our development, frustrates our easy and the cost of doing business reforms, and us of <coughs> our revenues. Government will continue to strengthen institutions that help in the fight against corruption. We must read our society of this corruption. Case.
6: The sonna on Tuesday was boycotted by the opposition legislators who accused Mnangagwa of being corrupt and shielding his corrupt friends who are alleged ruining the economy. Mnangagwa admitted the economic reforms are hating ordinary people and pleaded for calm.
2: Mr. Speaker, the corrupt reforms we have embarked on i beginning to bear fruit. I'm aware of the pain being experienced by the poor and marginalized. Yeah. Well, the economy is working against from being dead who require patience, unity of purpose, and perseverance.
6: In Harare, Zimbabwe, Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchema.
1: Nigerians have been urged to do away with the bad attitude and be law-abiding in all their activities. Thus, by their president, Muhammadu Buhari, and his broadcast to the nation to mark 59 years of independence from British colonial rule. Nigeria is Africa's largest and most populous country, which gained independence from the United Kingdom in 1960. Jane Rabutata reports.
7: The 1st of October is a momentous occasion in Nigeria, celebrated each year across all of the country's 36 states. The West African country, with a population of approximately 186 million people in 2018, gained independence from British colonial rule on this day. The occasion is an opportunity for Nigerians to pause and reflect on their nation's history and achievements thus far. As Nigeria marks its 59th anniversary this year, political leaders have expressed differing views on the shape and future of the country deemed Africa's most populous nation and largest economy. In his message shared on Twitter, 2019 presidential candidate of the People's Democratic Party, Adiku Abubakar, urged citizens to put Nigeria first, adding that transforming the country and upholding the integrity of its constitution is the responsibility of all. While celebrating the country's heroes of democracy, he expressed his disappointments at the level of poverty, unemployment, among other social ills ravaging the country. Abu Bakr maintained that all is not well when Nigeria is now officially the world headquarters for extreme poverty and out-of-school children, yet the cost of maintaining those in government continues to grow. In a statement signed by his spokesperson, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, Femi Bajabiamila, urged the Nigerians to pray for the country and its leaders for visible dividends of good governance. The governor of Inugu State, Ifeani Ogwani, implored the citizens to remain steadfast in pursuance of peace, unity and brotherhood. While acknowledging challenges facing the nation, the ruling All-Progressive Congress commended President Muhammadu Buhari, pointing that he has recorded success in some areas since he came into power, despite inheriting current problems. Reporting for Channel Africa, I am Jane Rabutata in Johannesburg.
1: The Nigerian community in South Africa's Western Cape Province has today held a press conference ahead of the upcoming South Africa slash Nigeria Binational Commission conference tomorrow. According to the NCWC, the BNC conference is an opportunity for both countries to work towards finding long-lasting solutions to salvage uh, South Africa's deteriorating relationships with Nigeria and the rest of Africa. Today also marks Nigeria's Independence Day. And to discuss this further, we're joined on the line by Pastor Barry Uganale, environmental and human rights activist, uh, Pastor. Thank you very much for joining us.
8: Thank you, sir, for having me on the line.
1: Now, Pastor, could you tell us what the purpose of today's briefing is?
8: Yeah. Um. The purpose of today's briefing is that uh, as the NCWC, we felt that number one, uh, there was no use gathering somewhere in some hall in in Cape Town to maybe party when the two most important uh, economies on the continent in South Africa and Nigeria, uh, these nations, were having very uh, serious uh, concern in terms of uh, their relationship against the background of the recent xenophobic attack. So we decided to use today's 15th uh, anniversary of the Nigerian independence. Uh, in the conjecture of what is happening at uh, this Nigerian-South African uh, Binational Commission to then call on both governments to look at certain salient areas which we felt would be of um, benefit to uh, our professionals here in South Africa and our fellow South African brothers and sisters.
1: Now, figures and information on the contribution Nigerians are making to the South African economy and society were unveiled at the press conference. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more? Uh, is is the uh, contribution as big as uh, it's, it's been made to be or as little as some people think it is?
8: Okay. Um, you see, in the equation of national economy, nothing is small. A point zero percent or a point one percent in contribution in, in, the, in the whole of the national economy is, is something significant because mm-hmm. if you take that away, you, you then you will not know what that means. Yes.
2: Um,
8: we, we, we looked at a report presented by Westgrove, which is um, um, the chamber that is um, in charge of investment in, in, in Western Cape. That we look at that alone. We look at the, the the relationship or the investment between Nigeria and just the Western Cape alone. And then we just look at the latest report and we, we highlighted just one small bit, exportation of fruits alone from um, Western Cape to um, Nigeria. And we are saying that those can happen mainly on the back of the, uh, businessmen, Nigerian businessmen that are here that buy fruits and send to Nigeria. Uh, you're talking of just one quarter alone accounting for something in the region of about 24. Point something million dollars. Now, when you break that down to the scale of individual farmers, when you break that down into one small sector alone, you would realize, and then if you measure that, that there are about 11 trading areas in which Nigeria features strongly between um, the, the Western Cape and South Africa as a whole, then you will realize that the contribution from Nigerians is not as small. But what we also highlighted was that most of the contributions by the Nigerians that are here because of the scale at which they operate, especially your small shops, your corner shops, your baboon saloon, and all of that, that it has not been effectively captured. That is something that came strongly into today's discussion.
2: Mm.
1: Now, the community has also reacted to the recent attacks on uh, foreign nationals in South Africa, and what did you make of this?
8: Uh, Number one, we said, as the NCWC, that we acknowledge that South Africa has got its own challenges and that its primary responsibility is to its citizens. We acknowledge that. Number two, we acknowledge that um, South Africa, as a country, is dealing with the impact, the legacy of apartheid, in which um, means of uh, production and resources have not been judiciously distributed to uplift or address the pains in the previously oppressed community. We acknowledge that. We also acknowledge that it, some of our countrymen and women may have not behaved in the most noble manner. However, the the, the narrative, the dominant narrative, had been to hype the minority that are in illicit trade against the vast majority of people in the academics, against the vast majority of people in the NGO sector, against the vast majority of people that own small businesses. In the Western Cape alone, we are saying over one thousand two hundred companies, small businesses are registered by Nigerians. We had an accounting practitioner that came there to demonstrate that Nigerian owned businesses are paying tax. We have a, a the Traders Association that said something close to two hundred Nigerian owned shops only in the CBD, uh, owned by Nigerians, and they employ South Africa. We looked at it if they employ even one South African. Um, so at the end of the day, I think the point we made uh, strong was that the media and the narrative has been to hide what when one Nigerian, for example, is caught in drug trade, as opposed the other hundreds of nigerians that are doing legitimate businesses teaching in schools volunteering teaching math and sciences in the townships and in communities those have not been highlighted
1: and uh how important is the south africa slash nigeria binational commission
8: okay we said it is very important but we also observed that um the relationship has been sort of um, anchored around big corporates, it has not pro- it has not promoted small businesses or supported or built structures whereby small businesses owned by Nigerians in South Africa and small businesses by South Africans could find a space in the over 30 or 30 something bilateral relation- uh, treaties between Nigeria and South Africa. What we are calling on good government to do is, where the tension is, is among the small businesses, the small entrepreneurs, that is where the tension is. So if you have this uh, 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 tens of bilateral treaties and agreements, For example, many people don't even know what is the BNC. Many people don't know about it. Many people don't know that Nigeria and South Africa are one of the biggest trading partners on the continent. And then the the guys that have the corner shops see themselves as competing for limited resources. So what do you do? Because that is where the tension is, to carry along the small businesses on both ends. It is not for you to have your big corporates, people sharing profits, people doing things and maybe buying crude and selling crude, and then on the J G- and this joint stock exchange, most of those areas, that people don't easily feel the impact. It is at, at the ground level. So we are saying the BNC is important, but also create a structure that the, the impact of the relationship between this country will be served by the smallest of small businesses on the ground. This, and we understand that this is where majority of african entrepreneurs operate.
1: All right and uh president Cyril Ramaphosa will host president Muhammadu Buhari on Thursday. Uh very quickly what outcome are you hoping for?
8: As uh, for us we would be uh, very glad if our president and the president um of South Africa Ray Ramaphosa, whom we all hold in very high esteem. Consider down and discuss and look at a permit regime that will recognize that permits for small businesses. Because, you know, when you, the, 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 the current permit regime for businesses, you must have 2.5 million rand. How many Africans have that money? We are saying, if you can agree and discuss around how to recognize uh, provide a permit for the guys who have $10,000 small businesses. they employ 2 persons. that will help because there are, that is where the majority of the people are. And these are the people that immediately put bread and butter on the table of our people. It is not the big corporates that you need to have your MBA for you to get a job as an executive. That is not where the stream that the majority of Africans are. So when they talk, let them not leave this thing within the framework of the elitist and big corporate and boardroom discussion, that they should find a way that these relationship reflect on the lives of the people in Kailicha, in Joslovo, in Danone, and in, uh, what do you call it, in the township in Deep Blue, all around Johannesburg. They need to find a way that this thing reflects at that ground level. That is what we are expecting from them.
1: All right, Pastor, thank you very much for joining us.
8: Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me.
1: And that was Pastor Barry Uganale, environmental and human rights activist.
9: When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling. But at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile.
6: Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9, and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise.
1: Channel Africa, the voice of the African renaissance. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa has le- launched the Health Sector Anti-Corruption Forum at the Union Buildings in twenty. The forum is a collaboration among various stakeholders in the fight against fraud and corruption in the health sector, who altogether... Uh, pr- Prevent, detect, and prosecute fraud and corruption. It was established following the historic signing of the Presidential Health Summit 2018 Compact, which mandated government and social partners to work together to reform the healthcare system. Tlantla Matlangu reports.
9: The health sector, public and private, is vulnerable to fraud and corruption because of large and varied numbers of transactions on goods and services in terms of fraudulent orders, tender irregularities, fiscal dumping by government departments through non-governmental organizations, bribery, overpricing, poor governance, transfer of liabilities to the state, and bogus as well as fraudulent qualifications. The Presidential Health 2018 Compact also directed that a whistleblowing policy be developed to ensure the ease of reporting to relevant authorities and that political interference should also be considered as a corrupt activity. President Ramaphosa says as South Africa prepares to implement universal health coverage through the National Health Insurance Bill, Proactive measures through the Health Sector Anti-Corruption Forum will serve as a deterrent to ensure the appropriate standards of governance and accountability, leading to the full rollout of NHI.
5: Clearly this forum today is quite historic as far as I'm concerned because together and collectively we are now going to take uh, real definite steps to curb the corruption that uh, prevails in our country in health, in the health sector. In that, the signing of the terms of reference, the terms of agreement of the Health Sector Anti-Corruption Forum is one of the critical steps that we are taking to transform the health care system in South Africa and to rid it of not only the inefficiencies of the past, but also to rid it of corruption. This initiative and the report that was released yesterday, the Health Inquiry Report, are the concrete steps and ways that our country uh, should be taking and will be taking to reduce wastage, to reduce collusion, and to end uncompetitive behavior in the market. As many of us will know that healthcare is uh, the third largest item of government expenditure, and yet there is a fundamental disconnect between what we are spending on health care and the health outcomes that our people are getting. We spend a lot of money and the outcomes that they get are much more contained.
9: At the end of the launch, the various stakeholders signed the terms of reference outlining the mutual support and cooperation they will lend towards the fight against fraud and corrupt practices in the health sector. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Kantla Malangu in Johannesburg. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was
7: hostile.
6: Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa. Every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 And on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10 Rise Africa, rise Channel
1: Africa, the voice of the African renaissance
2: Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to
8: our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment
2: Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on black economic empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NEDLEC to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussion have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs.
4: I've tried looking for a job for a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have.
6: Africa.
7: Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African
10: perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor.
5: Thank you so much. Um, It's an honor to be here.
7: Palessa Mokubong who's a designer Welcome Palessa to Change Your Game Thank you Your role at the 4th Annual Fashion Without Borders event I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs>
11: okay. and do my part and do it really really well
1: Right, right now it's time for your headlines here's Ishwalani Tulo with your latest
2: <laughs> SABC News ...independent and impartial. From an African, From an African perspective... perspective.
3: Thank you, Samora. Making headlines, Uganda's opposition lawmaker and presidential hopeful Bobby Wine has announced the government's banning of civilian use of red berets. The lawyer of a prominent Tanzanian journalist who was arrested more than two months ago has called on President John Makafuli to pardon him. And finally, there have been violent clashes between police and protesters in Hong Kong as China celebrates 70 years of communist rule. For Channel Africa, I'm Cholani Tulo.
2: S.A.B.C. News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective.
1: As the festive season draws closer, South Africa's Stain City Foundation is gearing up to host yet another annual delivering happiness to Dibsloot. The Johannesburg North Estate Development is neighbour to the disadvantaged community of Deepsloot and the initiative is part of Stain City's corporate social investment project. It has so far reached over 13,000 primary school children in Deepsloot who have received school shoes and bags, amongst other things. Stain City's approach has been to give back to the community, many of whom are employed at the development, and treat the children once a year. More from group-headed Stain City's marketing and events, Tammy Menton.
12: The foundation was officially started, or unofficially started, should I say, about eight years ago, which was a direct instruction from both our developer and the founder, Dostain, um, our developer, Giuseppe Plumari, to look at how we, as this massive big development, can be better neighbours. Actually, our closest neighbours are, in fact, uh, the dipstool community. And um, what we found quite jarring was, you know, this is happening all over the country where we've got um, you know, massive, big-scale developments taking place on the doorsteps of um, townships that are, are in desperate need of finance and help. Um, so it seemed like a really wonderful opportunity to use this as a, um, a way to be good neighbours, essentially. So Stain City started um, looking at ways that we could directly affect the people that live there. Um, And it it resulted in a number of really wonderful initiatives, um, some of which are hugely successful and up and running already, and others which are in planning, which is wonderful. But just to name a few, um, the public partnership um, and private partnership with the roads that are leading from uh, the four-ways area that are eventually going to end across Stepsloot. the idea of having cycle lanes and and pedestrian lanes was born directly from the Stain City foundation where um, we looked at how do we make it easier for people who live in Deepsea to travel through to Stan City. So a lot of those people that live there are going to ultimately be working here in Stan City. Along with that was how do we increase the number of jobs that are going to be created and available. Massive opportunity at Stan City to increase jobs and skills. So um, there was a our skills development centre which was founded. Um, I believe you've already had a, an opportunity to have a look at that. Um, And along with that came over 14,000 jobs, 15,000 jobs that's been created. So we knew we could do more. We're in a position where we're really fortunate. We've got some amazing um, stands available and property available, and we've got people that are buying in that want to contribute to uh, to Stay City and to the, the, the community. So part of what we do is um, 0.5% of every sale that we make here um, goes into our foundation fund, um, and that's in perpetuity. So for as long as we're selling at Stay City, then every time we do a sale, 5%, 0.5% sorry, will go into this foundation. Um, and that kind of is used to roll out a number of activities throughout the year. Tell us about
7: the delivering happiness and to your
12: the Delivering Happiness to Dipsleurt initiative has been going for eight years. This will be our eighth year that we're actually going into Dipsleurt. The concept behind it was we just wanted to find a way to bring a little bit of joy to the people in Sluit, Um and particularly the children in Dipsleurt, a lot of whose parents live and uh, sorry, work at Stane City. So many of them are actually employed here by the developer or they're a contractor or a subcontractor to one of the projects that are taking place. So we wanted to do something that would just bring a smile to the faces of all those children. The, Tell us about the numbers.
7: I think it has grown over the years. When we
12: initially started, um, which was eight years ago, we had we, we went out with about 3,000, um, aimed to sort of touch 3,000 children's lives. We now this year are sitting on 12,000 children. So it's grown exponentially. Um, our target is to reach every single primary school-going child in the Dipslet area. So all seven of the public private uh, public um, primary schools in Dipslet will receive gifts from Stan City for the, the end of the year.
9: Sure. How has um, the foundation's work, uh, had, I know you spoke about it, but like, how has it transformed the lives of the people that live in Jitsluot? I mean, you have all these programs, you know, different in, in, in different scales and s- stuff like that. And you have people coming here, getting
0: skills. Some of them don't even conti- go on to work here, but they also go and start um, their businesses. How has it transformed the lives of the people there in
12: I think it's had a massive impact, and I, I think to a large degree it's almost immeasurable. Um, you know, we kind of try to keep, get our head around what jobs we're providing, what skills we're providing, but I think that as a community, Dipslurts view us as really good neighbours. I think if you go into the, the community of Dipslurts and you ask them about Stay City, you'll get a very, very positive response, and for me that's probably the most effective of, of all measures, is, um, you know, we are, we, we're considerate and we care about what's happening next door. Um, and as a result, what we're doing here, our full intention is to provide back to the community of dipsters specifically. So we've kind of really ring-fenced our, our initiatives and everything we do, our eyes on how can we improve and the development and how can we improve the community of Dipsford? Mm-hmm.
9: And obviously also just the development of young people is important because you have also initiatives or projects that programs that actually empower them to actually be skilled and go on be able to work or start their own thing and uh, yeah.
12: So the, 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 the youth is a big a big factor for us and um, we are very proudly involved in the Yes for Youth program, the Solomon Monoposa Yes for Youth program and this year we've had uh, 70, 70. 70 um, interns that have come and worked here at City in various departments, all of which have over the year upskilled, um, some of which are going to remain as permanent staff, but the rest will go out with a skill set that they'll be able to translate into actual employment, hopefully, in the, in the years to come. Um, over and above that, within our own permanent staff that work here at Stain City, and as I mentioned, we've got our contractors, our various contractors. So from a job skill set, uh, you know, we've created over 14,000 jobs, and our skills development centre obviously also looks at basic skills that we can help people that have had no formal training in any sector and giving them an actual skill that can relate to money in their pocket one day.
1: And that was Temi Menton, group head at Stain City's Marketing and Events, and she was talking to Tuto Ngbeni. A bra made almost entirely of rooibos tea bags has been created by a leading South African lingerie brand to shine the spotlight on breast cancer as the global health community marks World Breast Cancer Month this October. The rooibos bra forms part of several other initiatives by the non-profit organization Cancer to create widespread awareness of breast cancer and other cancers affecting women. To discuss this further, we are joined on the line by Adele Dutoy, spokesperson for the South African rooibos council. Adele, thank you very much for joining us.
11: Thank you so much. Good evening to you and to your listeners.
1: Now, Adele, could you paint us a picture of how the numbers look like? How many women are affected by breast cancer in South Africa at the moment?
11: So the stats say 1 in 27 women, but I'm sure it's much more because many women go undiagnosed that suffer from breast cancer.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and why was Robos Tea specifically chosen for the material of this bra? What inspired the idea?
11: So tea, an absolute national treasure, is not only good for your health in general, but it actually helps to fight cancer because it it targets the root cause of cancer, which is inflammation.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, how many tea bags were used in the final design and how did you collect them?
11: Well, so in the final design we used about 450 tea bags, but we used much more. I would say up to about a thousand and a half tea bags because there were many prototypes made of the bra, about four or five. And the team at Storm in ATG Cup did such a fantastic job with this design. And um, We actually um, made an appeal to the public to send in their used teabags and that we were absolutely overwhelmed with the teabags received. So more than what we needed to actually do this incredible design. And it's a one of a kind.
1: And Adele, why specifically used teabags and not brand new store-bought
11: teabags to do this? Well, firstly, we wanted uh, everybody that donated their tea bags to get the benefits of the royal tea that they drank. And um, secondly, also, royal tea has a delicious, beautiful, deep red color, and that natural color and the stain on the, color, on the tea bags itself was used the design of the bra, so everybody could benefit
1: mm-hmm. And uh, how much will the bra be auctioned for, and what will happen to the proceeds raised?
11: Yeah, so this is on everybody's lips. We're not exactly sure what's going to happen. So in a couple of weeks we will be auctioning off this one of a kind, only, the, the only bra known made of whatever's tea bags. And what's happened before is there was a bra worn by the screen icon Marilyn Monroe and that sold for about Twenty thousand U.S. dollars, and two of Madonna's iconic bras fetched um, fifty-two and twenty-six thousand dollars, respectively. So we're really hoping for uh, a large number, so we can make sure that that money that um, is collected goes to cancer and women awareness of breast cancer.
1: All right, Adele, thank you very much for joining us.
11: Thank you so much. Have a good evening.
1: You too. And that was Adal Dutoy, spokesperson for the South African Rooibos Council. South Africa has joined the rest of the globe today in celebrating the International Day of Older Persons. This annual event aims to raise awareness about issues affecting the elderly, such as discrimination, social exclusion and elder abuse. Tasneem Farid is the operations manager at the non-profit organization, uh, the Association of the Aged.
11: So some of the common myths are that, old oh, people need to be sitting quietly in a corner. Mm. I don't need to engage with them, that they don't understand anymore, that they've lost their fun and their excitement. So what we at to try to do is we try to engage people with the other generations. We try to teach the youth how to interact with their elders within the community and how Elders can remain as part of the family for as long as is possible. We also try to create an education and an understanding with regards to some of the debilitating illnesses that people do experience so that people can still interact with their elders. Sometimes if they are ill, then it's not as, you know, isolation in terms of the illnesses that the people have.
0: Now, let's look at the stereotypes and the misconceptions and really how they shape the way that people then treat senior citizens. What are some of the the major problems that you've come across as an association?
11: I think loneliness, isolation, Mm. boredom, and a sense of helplessness. So all the people like to be engaged. You've worked your whole life, if you think about it. You've been Mm. busy. Mm. You've been the caretaker. You've been the mum. You've been the dad. And suddenly when they don't have these roles or they're not engaged in, then those are very saddening items for them. And they really they long for that closeness, for that sense of family, for being part of that experience. And in terms of a
0: day like this, what is the aim around this day and what is it that the ordinary man on the street can do to sort of really pay greater attention to those specific vulnerabilities that you've noted?
11: So what we're looking at is that, you know, currently there are over 700 million people in the world over the age of 60 and it's expected to grow to over 2 billion by the year 2050. So in a short space of time, that could account for me and yourself as well. So what we want to do is we want to change the way older people are seen in the community. And we want to create a future that has less hardships, that has more opportunities and growth and meaning for older people. So we want people to journey with the age of equality. So why do people who are older have less? services, for example? Why do people who are older have less opportunities, for example? And what would an age-friendly world look like? Mm, mm. So, for example, if you think about it, if you go to a shopping center and there's a mums and tots parking, but where would an older person park? Would they park close to the environment where they want to access their services, you know? And how far do they need to walk with their shopping banks, for example? These are things that an age-friendly society would do. Mm -hmm. What would the bank look like if a person is getting older in years, but they still need to access their money?
0: Let's talk a little bit, Tasneem, about the work that you do as an organization in terms of defending those rights and, of course, raising awareness on these vulnerabilities. What is the role that the TAFTA plays?
11: So TASA's role is very much in terms of providing services on a day-to-day basis. We have things like our aging in place service, our home-based care service, our meals on wheels service. So these are services that go out within the community into a person's home.
1: And that was Tazneem Farid, operations manager at the non-profit organization, the Association for the Aged, TAFTA, in South Africa, talking to his economy. So the time is now 17.45, Central African time. Let's cross it over to the money desk where Nosek Zuma, is standing by to let us know what is happening in the world of economics.
10: Thank you, Samora. Good evening. Petroleum National and its South African partners plan to conduct an initial public offering in their fuel retail engine. This is to fund the upgrade of a refinery in the coastal city of Durban in the Guazulu natal province and to expand its network of gas stations. Stella Longway reports.
0: Undisclosed amount of shares in the company, which is South Africa's biggest fuel retailer, will likely be sold on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange in the first half of next year. Engine's 135,000 barrel per day refinery needs to be upgraded to meet more stringent laws aimed at curbing pollution. Engine is 74% owned by Malaysia's Petroleum National, known as Petronas, and 26% held by a group led by Pembani, a South African company founded by Putuman one of the country's most successful black businessmen.
10: Fuel prices in South Africa are set to increase again this month, effective from midnight tonight. The price of 95 octane fuel will increase by 18 South African cents a litre, diesel will go up by 25 cents per litre, and illuminating paraffin will increase by 25 cents per litre. However, 93 octane fuel will see a slight decrease of 4 cents per litre. The increase is attributed to, among other factors, an attack on oil operations in Saudi Arabia last month, which cut production. Production. Zambian President Lubin Habazorka says some experts were paid huge sums of money to organize and lobby for retention of value-added tax in the 2020 national budget. This follows the decision by the Finance Minister Buala to scrap off goods and services, tax and retain VAT in the 2020 national budget. Numbuise Tengo reports.
3: President Lubinda says with a value-added tax vet refund areas in the excess of $600 million US dollars, the only people smiling their way to the bank are consultants that were handsomely paid to decampaign goods and services tax. He says Zambia has lost a chance to fix problems with companies using fake vet refunds as working capital and now the government has a huge tax ahead to fund public expenditure and also provide working capital to companies through the so-called vet refunds.
10: Board chairperson at the South African Broadcasting Corporation, SABC, says the bailout the broadcaster has been seeking from government will help it realize its strategic goals. Bongumo Samakatini says the public broadcaster has met all the conditions set out by the National Treasury. The SABC is struggling financially, reporting net losses at, at the end of March this year, which has been blamed on losses due to sporting rights issues and interest incurred as a result of liquidity constraints makatini says the sapc is certainly turning the tide and the bailout will be an added boost
7: the strategy that we've put in place addresses a number of key areas it talks to digital uh, platforms it talks to making sure that our content is, is compelling and is available in all platforms it talks to us leveraging um, partnerships it talks to us attracting competent and um, talent of people who've got uh, prerequisite um, uh, expertise to do the work, it also talks to us strengthening governance issues.
10: And the British government has suggested creating a series of custom clearance zones on either side of the Irish border as part of its Brexit negotiations with the European Union. This would be situated about 10 kilometres away from the border and would allow consignment to be checked and cleared. The BBC's Kataya Adler reports.
3: If this leak is a taster of formal government proposals to come, acrimony rather than agreement probably lie ahead. A new Brexit deal signed off by EU leaders at their mid-October summit has long been the Prime Minister's declared aim. This week, the EU told him to get on with it, to present them with concrete UK proposals on how to replace the backstop before time ran out for them to consider them. But the details leaked on Monday night of possible UK customs proposals fall far short of meeting the EU criteria of safeguarding both the single market and the Northern Ireland peace process.
10: And for your financial indicators, the U.S. dollar is trading at 359.42 Nigerian Nara, 10.90 Buzonabula at 102.76 Kenyan Shilling and at 13.15 Zambian Guacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.15 Brazilian real, 64.77 Russian ruble, 70.2 Indian Rupee, 7.13 Chinese Yuan and at 15.15 South African Rand. The US the U.S. dollar is also trading at 81 pence to the British pound and at 91 cents to the euro. Looking at commodities, gold is trading at $1,467 and platinum at $879 per ounce. The price of brand crude oil is $59.70 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Nusili Zuma.
1: And right now it's time for your sport. Here is Neto Chimani.
4: Thank you, Samara. From the sports desk, a very good afternoon. Starting off with Netball News... Lorette Badenhorst has been named the new coach of South Africa's national netball team Spa Proteus. Badenhorst takes over the reins from Noma Plama, whose contract came to an end after the netball World Cup in Liverpool in July. Badenhorst is a former coach of South Africa's national under-20 netball team and has also served as the second assistant coach to Noma Plama at the World Cup in Liverpool. Badenhorst says she is ready to take up the challenge and continue where Plama left off
12: it's a great privilege and a great honour to um, coach the um, Spa-Protea team. Um, like you said, um, it's not going to be easy, especially not the first three months um, playing in three big competitions. Um, first one, Africa Cup, in um, two weeks' time. Um, not a lot of time for preparations. and um, yeah, um, Africa never easy to play against, but um, yeah, a, a, a great opportunity and a challenge for us to make sure that we just build on what normal are um, dead for our country and we not, um, shouldn't go backwards but we need to go forward and make sure that um, we just um, become better and better in world netball.
4: Padenhorst will be assisted by former player and current Tswane University of Technology varsity netball team coach Dumisani Chauke. Chauke who retired in 2015 and has been impressive in her young coaching career and says she is looking forward to the new chapter.
9: I'm also looking forward to, to this new chapter in my uh, very young netball coaching career. Um, and I cannot wait for, for the, the whole adventure just to unfold itself and and yeah give back to, to the netballing community of South Africa and assist in growing the sport in our country.
4: The first assignment for the coaching staff is the Africa Netball Cup tournament taking place in Cape Town from the 18th to the 22nd of October. That will be followed by a test series against England also in Cape Town from November the 29th to December the 1st. In tennis news, world number one Novak Djokovic blasted past qualifier Alexei Poprin 6-4-6-2 today to reach the second round of the Japan Open Tennis Championships in Tokyo. Playing in his first singles match since retiring from his US Open fourth-round match with Stan Wawrinka due to a left shoulder issue, the SAP showed he was fighting feet as he fired seven aces and won 84% of points on his first serve. Meanwhile, top seeds Ashley Betty and Naomi Osaka cruised into the last 16 of the China Open with straight sides of victories in their second-round matches in Beijing today. In football news, the South African Premiership side Cape Town City coach Benny McCarthy believes that Bafana Bafana striker Pesitao can shine in the UEFA Champions League when his Belgian team, Tlap Brugge, play against Spanish giants Real Madrid in the group stage match at the Santiago Bernabeu Stadium in Madrid tonight. Real are the Champions League record holders having won the tournament record 13 times. Tao is likely to start for his new team tonight.
5: Percy Tau, those are players that I know would get into Europe and will stay there for a long time because they've got the Lucas Factor, Lucas Radebe, Mark Fish, Sean Bartlett, Quentin Fortune, Benny McCarthy, Sibusisu Zuma, Siabonga Nomvete, Udramas, um, Skilachi, Stephen um These are players who went to Europe and made a career. Ten years or more. And that's what I'm... And he's he's got what that crop, the late shoes, Michelle, Chippa Masinga, he's got a little bit of that. What we had, he's got. And Percy Tau's definitely got, that's why he's playing Champions League football.
4: This is Channel Africa and I'm Neto and E.T.O. Chamani.
0: This is Africa Digest.
1: And that wraps up Africa Digest for this hour. Be sure to join us again in an hour's time from 1900 hours Central African time. But for now, from myself, Samora Magesi, producer, technical producer, Revolino Ibrahim, and the rest of the Africa Digest team, we'll see you again later this evening.